This is Guidepost, a new podcast from the publishers of The CRISPR Journal. Hello, I'm Kevin Davis, executive editor of The CRISPR Journal, launching in 2018 and covering the cutting edge of CRISPR research, technology and applications. In this new podcast series, we'll be talking to some of the key pioneers and practitioners in the exciting world of CRISPR and gene editing. This first episode of Guidepost is brought to you by Millipore Sigma CRISPR, innovative reagents you can trust. So in this first episode, we have an exclusive interview with Francisco Mojica, one of the true heroes of CRISPR research. In 2003, Mojica, a microbiologist at the University of Alicante in Spain, made a landmark discovery on the nature and function of CRISPR repeats. This was a milestone in the early history of CRISPR research, and yet it took almost two years for the research paper to get published, slipping past about four journals, including Nature, before eventually appearing in the Journal of Molecular Evolution in 2005. I recently met Mojica in Spain to relive this key chapter in the story of CRISPR. And I should note, our conversation took place outdoors. Don't be put off if you hear a few stray sounds in the background. We are in Sitges in Spain, just south of Barcelona, and I am delighted to be joined by Francisco Mojica of the University of Alicante, one of the real heroes of CRISPR. Good morning, Francisco. Yeah, good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about your pioneering role, in the, uh, especially in the early years of CRISPR. In fact, you were a hero of CRISPR before it was even <laughs> called CRISPR. So um, let's go back... Uh, uh, to the beginning. I think, as many people know, uh, the CRISPR repeats were first described. They weren't, the relevance wasn't at all clear, but the first paper describing these weird, strange repeats in uh, bacteria was in 1987 from That's a Japanese group. Yes. You, uh, were you at studying at the university? Were you researcher at the University of Alicante at the time? At the time, not. I, I started doing my PhD uh, thesis work in 1989. So that was was uh, two years later. Okay. After, uh, yeah. Okay. So, what? When did you first get interested in that story? Okay. Uh, like I said, I, I started my PhD uh, thesis work in 1989, and uh, I was uh, working on the regulation of uh, gene expression, if uh, in in halophilic archaea. This is sort of uh, prokaryotes, uh, quite similar to bacteria, but they are not bacteria anymore. But uh, we, we were just trying to investigate which were the, the, the response, the, the global regulatory response to changes in the salinity, because, because these uh, organisms are inhabitants of uh, environments uh, with very high uh, salt concentration. Mm-hmm. So we, we were just trying to sequence also a region of this. Uh, uh, halophilic organisms that was apparently related to adaptation to this high salinity. So these halophilic organisms are a feature of your your hometown of Alicante, where you <laughs> work, right? Isn't is that correct? These yeah. these okay, tell us a little bit. M- most people listening to this have never been to Alicante. So okay. what what is the fascination? What is the significance of this? Oh. Uh, these lakes, these yeah. a- and these these organisms. Yeah, these are salterns. That means uh, like pools where the water the seawater gets concentrated so evaporated uh-huh. just because of the sun yeah. so it's, uh, it's the way to get salt 
okay? okay. So the, the, these organisms are able to survive even at saturation of sodium chloride. So these are extremophiles. They are. And, and, but everyone thinks of the, the, the vents underwater. These are salt-loving... Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, they are salt lovers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, in fact, the, the, the seawater uh, doesn't have enough salt for them to survive. They need much more salt, at least 10 times more salt wow. in the water to, to grow. Okay. So the, the, these are amazing uh, living beings just because of the, the, the peculiarity of being able to grow at this energy. And we were interested just in that uh, curiosity, just to know the yeah. mechanism yeah. that uh, allow the, these uh, organisms to survive at high salinity and also to uh, uh, decrease in salinity yeah. after a heavy rain for instance. Yeah. And so these repeats that we now call CRISPR, you, you documented, you found this sort of structure in the DNA of some of these uh, organisms? That's it. So we were sequencing regions that uh, were, uh, we thought they could be related to this adaptation to salinity and, and suddenly we saw this uh, regularly spaced repeats in, in this genome. So we didn't know about any other uh, similar repeat in any other organism. So after that we were looking at the literature yeah. uh, just in case there were some, some uh, similar repeats already reported in the past. What year did you first make that discovery? That was uh, 1992. 1992. Right, so just five years after the first Japanese that paper, but you didn't see that at the time? That took a while to make that connection? <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the PubMed at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, there was the citation index, you go there, yes. yeah, you look for uh, a keyword, say yes. repeats. In those tiny, tiny fonts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. so, and you have uh, repeats, there are uh, plenty of repeats everywhere, so you have to check every single paper dealing with repeats yeah. and uh, check whether the, these repeats yeah. described in the paper are equivalent to those that yeah. uh, you have just found and, and eventually we found these ones from E. coli that they, they had a similar arrangement they, are, they were regularly in space they were about the same length but the sequence was different okay. but anyway we thought maybe something related yeah. which is quite weird also because yeah. you, you think E. coli where the repeats were described in 1987. Yeah. And this halophilic archaea, they are yeah, completely very, very different uh, organisms. Yeah. Um, wh wh and what did you call the repeats uh, at the time? At the time, we called them tandem repeats. Okay. That was my boss. <laughs> my yeah. boss said, uh, these are tandem repeats. They are in tandem. I, I didn't agree with that because they are not in tandem. The, 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 I mean, they are regularly in space. I think about tandem and tandem yeah. is consecutive yes. uh, se yes. sequences. Okay. These were not tandem, but TREPS was the, the okay. acronym okay. for those repeats okay. at the moment. And then how did the name change come about? How, how, yeah. Tell us that story. Yeah, the name changed, changed twice. After that, uh, that was uh, in 1992, and in 2000, we described a new family of repeats, just taking into account similarly arranged repeats that we found in, in 20 different uh, species of archaea and bacteria. At that moment, in 2000, we uh, described the family giving the name of short, regularly spaced repeats, or SRSR. And in 2001, that is one year later, yeah. I got an email from uh, a group in the Netherlands 
uh, that had been working with the repeats of mycobacterium tuberculosis. They had called these repeats DDR for direct repeats. And they told me they just had found four genes that were apparently associated to CRISPR, which means that they were present in, in only in genomes with CRISPR and invariably next to the repeats. So they wanted to give a name to these uh, genes, and uh, they didn't like apparently this SRSR. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it was no no one else to ask, and uh, yeah. uh, we were just trying to uh, to uh, to get a, a different name that yeah. were were unique yeah. in the databases and yeah. that were easy to pronounce. Also, right. so uh, I came out to with uh, CRISPR. I proposed CRISPR, and I remember I proposed uh, other alternatives such. As riser. Okay. I remember I said riser. Okay. R I I S R. And then there was a Dutch researcher yeah. who also who helped. How, what was his role in the naming? In the naming, he just asked me uh, about changing the name. I, I proposed these names, and he accepted CRISPR. He said CRISPR is a great acronym. Okay. And I really love it. <clears throat> and, uh, I just and then he was the first person to publish it. Is that use it in a publication? That's it. Yes, because uh, we, the, the main reason for changing the name probably was uh, that uh, they, they wanted to give a name to the, yes. the, the repeat-associated genes, yes. and uh, the, the outcome yes. was uh, CRISPR-associated CRISPR yes. or CAS genes. Right. So um, anyway, uh, uh, I, I understood at the moment that uh, they... they were not happy with me to give a, a, a name to the to the family of repeats, uh, taking into account that they had been uh, working with the direct repeats of mycobacterium tuberculosis uh, for many years. Uh, so they, I, I, I understood that it was a, a, a need for an yeah. agreement there in the okay. field. And like I said, we were just two groups working yep. on the repeats, so yep. it was quite easy to get an agreement. <laughs> so let's go back. You made you first described these repeats in 1992, you said a few minutes ago, uh, and then you spent year after year trying to ascertain what the significance of the yeah. uh, the 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 the, uh, the space of DNA, the, the the bits in between these yeah. the actual uh, repeated structures, yeah. and how were you doing that? What was it? was it just doing computer searches? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, uh, initially when we found these repeats, uh, this uh, regular landmark in the DNA, yeah. we thought this could be related somehow to DNA structure or topology or being a, 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 a place for binding, for cooperative binding of uh, proteins. And we were testing those hypotheses for right. many years right. and we, we, we didn't succeed. We okay. failed every time. Yeah. So um, they were not involved. Uh, that, that's, that's the shame uh, of uh, not yeah. publishing negative results. Yeah. Uh, because uh, it was also interesting to know that they were not involved in topology, not in yeah. Structure, yes. no protein could yeah. bind to the, them to the DNA of yeah. the structure. They are palindromic, so they, they could form yeah. these harpins, loops, yeah. structures. We didn't get any any results supporting this yeah. uh, the formation of these structures. But eventually, we we, we became interested in the spacers. Yeah, because when you look at the spacers in uh, loci in different strains yeah. of a species, yeah. these spacers change a lot. Yeah. So where they come from? Right. Why, what's the reason for these differences in the spacer regions? Right. 
and uh, we even thought that could be these spacers were synthesized de novo by a oh. unknown DNA wow. yeah. polymerase or whatever. That was crazy, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we were looking for some explanation. Because when we uh, search for matches to those spacers in the, the uh, nucleotide databases, we never got anything yeah. for many years. Yeah. But suddenly, you know, after 1995, uh, in 1995, the first uh, complete genome of uh, bacteria. bacteria was released. So after that, uh, more and more complete genomes of bacteria yeah. and archaea were, were uh, introduced in the databases and so, more sequences. So that must have been what kept you going because I would yeah. imagine most for most people if you're studying a particular system for year after year and getting making no progress yeah. just negative results yeah. at some point you must think you know what let's give up this is not interesting let's go yeah. you're a very stubborn uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the bad thing is that uh, I, I knew that it was interesting yeah because it was present in many different prokaryotes yeah very distantly related prokaryotes yeah and uh, some some archaea at least they had a 2% of the genome made of these repeats oh, on wow. spaces so wow. uh, that, that's telling that this right. is really important so you try uh, a hypothesis you raise a hypothesis and you get uh, bad results and yeah. say this is wrong but I will keep trying yeah. I will keep trying yeah. and eventually maybe I, I get something in fact I remember my collaborators uh, told me you are wasting your time looking for spacer matches ah, <laughs> I said really? maybe yeah. uh, maybe yeah. yes maybe not but, uh, well you prove them wrong uh, yeah. but I think it was in 2003 and the story yeah. goes that you were uh, on holiday you didn't go very far you were in Alicante <laughs> yeah. but it was really hot yeah. and why don't you pick up that story yeah that's right uh, I, I used to spend this the August this is the summer break yeah. in uh, Santa Paula uh, the, the Santa Paula is the, uh, the small uh, fishing town now it's a tourist town at, uh, south of Alicante okay. and the salter pounds are right there ah. yeah so just a coincidence just coincidence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> taking your work on holiday with no, you see. yes so I was there and I, I really don't like the the, the hot weather yeah. <laughs> I don't like to be uh, lying on the, the beach uh, just getting the sun tan yes so I prefer going to the to the lab yeah. at that moment yeah and, where uh, it's air conditioned and that's it <laughs> <laughs> so it's fresh it was relaxed yes. there no yeah. crowded of people yes. <laughs> no sand. So your wife is used to you saying, yeah. see you later. That's it. Yes. My, my, my wife was uh, at the beach and yes. I said, I, I will come after dinner or something okay. like that. Yeah. So uh, I, I went to, the, to the, my office, in yes. fact. And uh, we, we had got some sequences from uh, E. coli uh, strains we yeah. were analyzing. Yeah. Uh, we, we were sequencing this uh, uh, CRISPR loci of uh, strains of E. coli in order to evaluate whether they could be used as genetic markers for strain differentiation. So we got a few of these sequences, and uh, as used to do, uh, I, I just took the spacers and blast these spacers in the, uh, against the nucleotide yeah. databases, and suddenly one of them matched uh, for the first time, yeah. matched uh, a, a sequence, and said, wow, maybe a coincidence, maybe yeah. it was already the sequence of the region in the databases, but it was a sequence in the phage P1. That's a phage that infects E. coli, but we knew 
that that strain in particular was resistant to infection by uh, P1. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and how many times did you run this sort of search? I, I did it uh, every time I had a while to yeah. do that. But yeah. for many years, I didn't get anything. So at that moment, that was just amazing. Yes. So after that, we thought, oh, maybe uh, I should... <laughs> Dinner is cancelled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I, I did a, a comprehensive uh, yeah. analysis. I looked for CRISPR once again in every single yeah. genome available and yeah. all databases. Uh, in fact, we, we had a, a specific uh, program, bioinformatic program, for, to look for, for regularly spaced repeats yeah. of this length and this yeah. uh, regular space. Yeah. And we found many of these CRISPR in the database and extracted the spacers yes. and ma- look for matches to the spacers and suddenly another one spacer came probably from Streptococcus I think okay. uh, match a sequence of a phage and the phage infected oh. Streptococcus okay. and next we got an, another spacer probably from Sulfolobus that matched a plasmid yeah. and the plasmid was a plasmid yeah. of Sulfolobus yeah. oh my goodness yeah. this looks really great yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was all the same day? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. One, okay. one day after okay. the other, so okay. I, I cannot remember exactly okay. uh, when, but uh, that, that was probably during one, two weeks or something like that. So you were obviously very excited, and then sometime later you wrote up the, the paper yeah. to describe these results. Yeah. And you sent it off, do you recall which journal you sent it yeah. off to first off? Yeah, we, I, we found this in, in August, yep. I think it was uh, the end of September or the yep. beginning of October, yep. we just wrote down our paper yep. uh, and submitted to Nature. Oh. <laughs> and I remember the, the name of the, the title of the, the submission yep. was uh, uh, Prokaryotic Repeats Are Involved in an Immunity System. Yeah. And, uh, and also we wrote down in order to convince the editor and the referees yeah. this, uh, the, the existence of uh, an immune system an acquired immune system in prokaryotes will have a tremendous repercussion <laughs> in biology, <laughs> biotechnology <laughs> and clinical sciences and they didn't believe us no. they didn't trust us no. so the paper wasn't even reviewed it was no, wasn't even reviewed yeah. it was a presummation in fact this was a presummation and they said this has already been described and we said no this is the first time. I mean, we are talking about an immune system, but not any immune system. This is an acquired immune system with memories able to keep a memory of invasion, invasions and, um, and drive and get uh, an immunity yeah. against the, this, this recorded uh, sequence. Wait, when they said it had already been described, what do you think they were alluding I, to? Restriction enzymes? or Yeah, or uh, initially I thought that could be the reason why. So I tried to explain was not the same that the previously described defense or systems yeah. or genetic barriers yeah. and uh, the answer after a few months was uh, anyway uh, if you are able to describe the mechanism involved in this immunity uh, maybe we could be interested so we would just submit it so editors all. love asking for mechanism don't they <laughs> yeah I, I also understand that we didn't have a, an experimental proof that this was an immune system. So we have observations. We knew that uh, spacers match sequences of foreign DNA, and also we uh, noticed that it had never been published any paper reported 
reporting efficient infection of these uh, viruses or, or plasmids covering sequences matching spacers in the strain with the cognate spacer. And uh, also we had uh, many observations related to that about other uh, papers, other authors' papers. And uh, we, we performed some experiments indeed in order to demonstrate that this was an immune system. But we did it with E. coli and nothing worked. Uh, we knew five years later that the reason is that the, the, the E. coli CRISPR system is repressed, is silenced under lab conditions. So anyway. <laughs> so your landmark paper was rejected by Nature, it was rejected by maybe one or two other journals yeah. as well before it finally... Three more. Three, <laughs> finally published in 2004. Five, correct? Yeah, in which journal? In Journal of Molecular Evolution. Okay. In fact, I, I, one of the referees of, uh, of uh, the, the, I think the, the one we submitted previously before the Journal of Molecular Evolution yeah. suggested that us that these uh, our observations would better fit a journal related to evolution or something like that. So we thought, it doesn't matter where, but we want to publish it. So we send it to Journal of Molecular Evolution or whatever, any, yeah. anywhere. So we send it to Journal of Molecular Evolution yeah. and it took something like six months to get the first answer. I was every single month <laughs> trying to get in touch with the editor yeah. uh, to tell him, please, this is very important. Yeah. This is crucial. I, we want to publish this as fast as possible. If you are not going to accept it, please just tell us yeah. uh, and we'll try to Well, to you had lost so much another. time by yes. this point. So six, were you six. must be getting worried very, that you would be scooped? Very much, very much okay. indeed. But Yeah, eventually after so six months, they told us that uh, they, they, they were interested in the paper. Yeah. They suggested a few changes. Yeah. One week later, we, we sent yeah. the, the, the review yeah. article and three months later we got the the, uh, the answer to accept yeah. the paper and three months later wow. it was published so that, that was wow. I remember those uh, almost two years like a nightmare, yeah. a, nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare I promise you <laughs> when you know you have something yes. so big in yes. your hands yes. and you send it to uh, very good journals and they all of them agreed this was not interesting enough to be published in the paper I thought, well what is is me who's yeah. crazy or is yeah. uh, everyone else <laughs> once it had been published did you sense there was a quick recognition that this these CRISPR repeats were incredibly important or did it take I can imagine it's sort of after all that anticipation it may have been a bit of an anticlimax. you yeah. know the, you're happy the paper is out but does anybody you know who who notices who picks up on it okay um, just one month after we published this paper another paper appeared yeah. saying that the spacers of a large set of uh, Yersinia pestis strains yeah. also derive from phages. Ah. And a few months later, another, a third paper also appeared more or less with the same okay. conclusions. Yeah. So I, from my point of view, just yeah. three papers yeah. telling more or less the same right. probably catch the, yeah, they yeah. catch the attention of some people. I see. And uh, Two years later, a paper was published, uh, that is in 2007, yeah. where they uh, experimentally demonstrated yeah. that 
the, we were dealing with uh, an adaptive immune system yeah. and that the CAS proteins were functionally related to CRISPR for yes. the first time because yes. before the, the, there was no proof of that connection yes. and they, they uh, demonstrated that CAS were necessary to achieve this immunity yes. and the, that in fact when you challenge uh, Streptococcus thermophilus with a phage yeah. you get a few survivors yeah. and uh, they have acquired a new spacer and yes. that's the reason for that uh, yes. system so probably this demonstration uh, also helped a lot to trigger the, the yes. field. So it's been a little over 10 years since your landmark paper was published. And of course, as we know, uh, yeah, we wouldn't be sitting here if it hadn't been for the extraordinary developments in 2012 and 13 yeah. from Doudna, Charpentier, yeah, Church, yeah. Zhang, and yeah. many others. It's, Looking back now, uh, how can you just des- w- how can you describe your feelings in seeing this revolution really transform so many areas of molecular life sciences? Yeah. I was very 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 excited when we met for the first time in two thousand and eight after this paper from uh, Baron Wu et al. Yeah. describing this immune system. Uh, we met uh, ten ten speakers in Berkeley. Yes. So there I realized that we succeeded in calling the attention of uh, the the scientific community yes. at least of macrobiologists. Yes. And for me that, that was just huge. Yes. But after 2012 when we saw that some tools could be developed from this uh, this uh, prokaryotic immune system and in fact in 2013 it was demonstrated that it was a very good tool for genome engineering even better than the ones were before yeah. and now we look at the 10 15 papers published every single day yeah. using crispr yeah. you say what we have done yeah. this is amazing yeah. so it's no way uh, it was really um, unforeseen uh, it was it was very difficult to know for sure yeah. that these repeats yeah. were doing something very important in yeah. the cells. Yeah. So when you get that, you are very happy because you know that bacteria, prokaryotes in general, have many consequences on on life on Earth. Yes. Uh, and uh, and that's important also. Yes. And you go a step. Uh, a huge step <laughs> yes. uh, forward when you realize that you have the best the best molecular biology tools yes. ever yeah. with uh, such a huge potential yeah. so that that uh, i think i think any scientist couldn't get happier than uh, than one that yeah realized that the, the small kid, yes. the small boy, that no one, no one else care about, yes. gets a yes. very nice and, and uh, important person. Yes. <laughs> you, you've seen and uh, witnessed CRISPR pushing into so many areas, including uh, treating genetic diseases in human embryos, early yeah. steps in that field, talk about uh, potentially using CRISPR to eradicate malaria, using yeah. gene drives. Are there any, a lot of these uh, new areas bring sincere and um, potentially significant ethical concerns. Are there any elements of this rapidly moving field that give you pause?
laws that make you concerned or do you feel this is just the way science should be and, and everything will, will take care of itself? We think about uh, situations in the past where huge developments were made. There was a rejection, of uh, a general rejection by population. And now uh, these uh, progresses are seen as normal. So uh, I think we will need some time to get used to the possibility of doing something yeah. that was not possible a few years ago. Yeah. I don't like the idea of uh, changing the, the, germline? Uh, the germline at all, not at all. But uh, sometimes also you think it's, it's ethical not to do that when you can cure yeah. someone. Uh, I don't have kids, uh, oh. but uh, I'm, I, I, I can understand yes. that uh, anyone yeah. that has a, a little boy yes. with one of these diseases uh, yes. or either knows that's going to have a, a, yeah. a child with uh, a yes. disease, a genetic disease, will be will agree for sure yes. with uh, changing this situation. Yeah. If in the case is not any alternative, I mean, yes. also, because you, you have alternatives uh, to true. this uh, thing. If you can uh, avoid doing gene manipulation in germline, you, you I should. think you yes. should. Two final questions. A friend of mine uh, sent me a, a new, big newspaper article in Spain, I think it was El País, saying that uh, you, Professor Mojica, uh, deserve the Nobel Prize for your uh, pioneering contributions in this field. You're laughing. Do you, do you, uh, does that embarrass you? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> uh, it's, it's good to know that some people think that uh, I deserve it. And I, I really appreciate that. Okay. But uh, everyone knows that uh, thinking about the possibility of getting a Nobel Prize is like, uh, as you say, even uh, crazy. I mean, um, <laughs> it's, there's no way uh, one yes. could even expect yes. to get uh, yes. a with a Nobel Prize, yes. I mean. <laughs> so while the whole world is going crazy about CRISPR, are you back in the lab still studying your salt-living uh, organisms? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I moved to E. coli. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. These these halophilic uh, organisms, these salt lovers, are very hard to work with. Uh, so I moved to E. coli. That is easier. I am still working with uh, the CRISPR systems. I'm not interested. Uh, okay, I'm interested, of course, as everyone in the world about this uh, technology, but. Uh, from the research point of view I'm interested in the basic research in contributing to knowledge and uh, I believe in, in, in this uh, basic research yeah, and uh, I, I think the time gave me the reason I mean uh, we, we did basic research yeah. all the time yeah. and the output yeah. is this wonderful uh, technology and many other yes. uh, applications that we know now that are being developed from CRISPR so yes. I, I keep doing basic research okay well Francisco Mojica thank you so much it's been a pleasure meeting you and talking to you it has been a pleasure to me too